Amen. Amen. Once you guys have a seat, Father, we thank you for this moment. We pray that you continue to, to speak to us and guide us and let your spirit communicate the powerful things that you have in store for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's back to school time. Like I said before, uh, I didn't really hear much of a response for you, but maybe if you had some time to think about it, you excited about that? Okay, we'll still get there. We got, the, we got a couple weeks, guys, so I understand. I mean, I, uh, who here is, works in the uh, education field? Raise your hand. I know in the first service they all said we're on vacation, so we're not even going to raise our hand because we're not required. We thank you guys. On the 18th, we're going to have a back-to-school blessing, and we encourage you guys to be there. We'd like to pray for you and bless you and encourage you as you enter back into what we feel is an awesome and important uh, area to, to assist our community. Uh, kids, as you guys go back to school, we'd love to empower you and pray for you, so we'll be doing that too on the 18th. Uh, who, any kids here excited about going back to school? That's what I thought. I just one of you. That's what I got. My kids are not. In fact, that, that video that you watch with them running into it, if you know how to make that happen, you know, to get my kids excited about going back to school, tell me. I'd love to bottle some of that and, and, and kind of infect them with some of that because they need that. I mean, when we say back to school, it's kind of like, they roll over in bed and cover their heads up with the blanket. So we've got a couple weeks. We'll work on that. Only 14 days. Yes, I'm counting them down because uh, it, it is a holiday in the Bengry house, that first day of school for the parents. We celebrate. It's better than Christmas. It's awesome. So uh, we love Davidson Community Schools. Mary said I'm supposed to say we, we love our children. <laughs> apparently that didn't come through. Is that, is that what it's communicating? Yeah. All right. Well, we love our kids. Of course we do. And we love Davidson Community Schools, too. So, uh, but we are excited about this series and what we're going to do with this next series, and I encourage you guys to participate with us, is we're going to be entering into the book of James for the next four weeks, and we're going to be kind of understanding a little bit of some of the truth that, that can be communicated through the book of James as we kind of go back and center in on that. So I encourage you guys to bring your Bibles if you got them. If not, we've got Bibles in front you could use if you know how to use uh, books, that is, anymore. Uh, if not, if you don't want to do that, you can boot it up on your iPad, you get the Bible app, you can find us on, on there too, um, or your phone or your smartphone or whatever, or just listen along. Uh, but we'd love to have you guys interact with us uh, with this next series because it's going to be interesting how we wander through this. And then at the, on, um, on Labor Day weekend, if we go through four weeks, to the book of James. On Labor Day weekend, we're going to enter into a new uh, kind of an experience um, to kind of wrap up our whole series. And then obviously on the 8th, we're going to have that great uh, uh, fall kickoff that won't, you won't want to miss. But as we kind of enter into this uh, uh, book of the Bible, I'm just going to start right off the bat with James 1.1. 1, 1. And this is what it says. It says James. Now, in, in uh, old kind of New Testament letters that they write, they write their name first instead of writing it at the end. So James is the, is the person who writes this book. Now, actually, let me tell you a little bit about James. He is the younger brother of Jesus. Actually, his name in the Hebrew is actually Jacob or Jacob as it might be translated. In this particular translation, it's translated James because that's kind of the Greek translation. Jesus, if you think of Jesus' name in the Hebrew, his name is Joshua. 
but it's translated in the Greek to, to Jesus. And uh, so we can kind of either call him Jacob or James. Who, who, here, who here wants to vote that we're going to call him James? Raise your hand. Jacob, raise your hand. All right, it's kind of split, so we'll just call it Jacob or Jamal. I don't know. Let's just say James. I'm going to go with James because that's what it says here. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations greetings. Now, James was, like I said, he was the younger brother of Jesus, and he found faith in Jesus and followed Jesus after Jesus had died, resurrected, and ascended. And I think one of the greatest truths and power of Jesus's work is that he actually had his younger brother follow him. <laughs> uh, I am a younger brother, and there have been some times I will not go anywhere with my brother. I will fight my brother to the very end. Anyone else have some brother relations there? I see the two bellboys look over at each other. Yeah, yeah, that, that, there's a lot of love back there. So Jesus was the younger brother of uh, uh, James was the younger brother of Jesus, and he also became one of the prominent church leaders in the early church in Jerusalem, where the church started to try to expand from. Some of the prominent leaders that you might be aware of, Paul, Peter, and others, began to expand and move out from that center. Well, James stuck around. In fact, in in Acts chapter 15, we get the very first uh, board meeting of the church. That sounds scary. Uh, and, and when they were talking about it, and when all these people gathered to, to settle an issue, it was James who spoke up and everyone kind of listened. As he kind of gathered up to the podium to share about a certain issue, everyone kind of said, oh, James is talking. So he became pretty prominent in a leader. Now, his style of writing is completely different than what Paul's letters are. If you're familiar with Paul's letters, Paul would visit a church, he would establish a church, he'd raise up leaders, then he'd move on to another church. And then as he would gain word about what was going on in certain scenarios, certain ideas, he would write letters back to those churches to deal with those issues. And those issues tend to be really specific towards those churches, and we have to understand the context of that and why Paul is writing with James. This is kind of like James is this, this old blog writer, right? And then after years and years of writing a blog, he says, hey, I'm going to do the best of James, the best of blogs. Here's all my common themes that I have kind of gathered over my time of ministry. And he's writing this to all his, his they're typically Jewish converts into Christianity. And some of them have scattered away from Jerusalem and kicked over water bottles. And and they scattered away, but he's still writing, kind of reminding them. And as they read this letter that's been circulated, they might say, oh yeah, I remember that sermon on James. Oh, I remember that James always, always, always talked about this point. And he's reminding them to, to remember some of those truths that communicated to them. Now, the truths that he communicates are so common to our life that I think you're going to have no problem over the next four weeks diving in and applying specifically those key things because the people that lived back then are very similar in what they struggle with to what we're struggling with today, at least in the way that James draws it out. In fact, this is how he starts. James chapter 1, and then in verse 2, he covers one of his main themes that he'll cover through the whole book. He says this, and you might, even, you might have heard this before. This is what he says. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
Let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Who here has ever faced a trial, a tribulation? Who here has ever faced trials of many kinds? Who has ever faced trials of two kinds? Just two. That's right. We, all, we understand this, right? Whether the trial be something simple, like you get a flat tire on the, on the way to work, or something that has the potential to wreck you, like your marriage falls apart, or your bank account is so empty you can't pay the bills, or you face a, uh, a sickness or an illness, the death of a loved one. We've all faced trials. And it's very interesting to me because what James does in this is he doesn't approach this in a way that is trite. He just starts off right off the, 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 the very first thing he says after he introduces himself. He says, hey, you guys are going to have trials. You guys are going to have tribulations. But here's what you do. Come on, come on with me. Come on with me. Come here. Come here, he says. Come here, he says. Walk through the trials. Come and, and go through the trials. Come and embrace it with happiness and joy. Now, you might say, this is how he starts the letter? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Who here would take that invitation? Come on. Come on in. I've got some suffering for you. Come on. It's going to be awesome. Come here. Come on. Make sure you come with a smile. Come on. Come on. Come on. I mean, where is he coming from with this? This is always something that we face, and honestly, human nature fights against that invitation because the invitation to come and suffer is completely what we want. In fact, our, our, uh, our reaction as humans to something negative or fearful is either fight or flight. It's never jump in with two feet. And that's exactly what James is suggesting. Now, either James has lost his brain or this is so key that he wants his people, again, he sp spoke on this many times, and he's communicating to them, no matter what you're going through, choose joy in the midst of trials. Because why? Because the testing of your faith, the churning of your faith, the enduring of what you go through produces something. As you press through that, as you endure that, as you persevere through that, there's a purpose on the other side. Just like gold is refined in the fire and you scoop off the imperfections and it's more valuable after you do that, it has to be heated and melted in order for that to happen. He's saying the same is in your life. There's a purpose in your life to the trials and the suffering that you face. Now, we have fought against this idea inside of Christianity so much that there has been some certain sayings that I've witnessed in my life that have fought completely against this. In fact, here's one of them. Can we put that picture up? Who here has ever read this? God will never give you more than you can handle. Who here has ever seen this on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? Who here has ever heard this from someone else? Okay, be honest, who here has ever shared this with someone else? I hear you, I've done it too, right? All right, let me tell you, complete foolishness. One, it's not even in the Bible. 
And you might say, well, there's that one verse in uh, 1 Corinthians 10 that says, you know, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man and God is faithful. He won't give you more than you can bear. So you, you provide a way out so you can stand up under it. Well, he's talking about temptation, not trials, right? He's talking about being introduced and pulled into sin. James is saying that when you go through trials, it doesn't pull you away from God, it pulls you closer to God. So he's not talking about this at all. In fact, this saying is so, such a temptation to enter into places of brokenness and, and bad theology that, that represents itself in bad uh, actions and words that it can really, really be destructive. Let me just talk a little bit about this because there's something about this phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle. There's a couple questions I have about this. The first question is this, how much can you handle? Because that's really what you're asking, right? How much can I handle? Who here has ever been in a place where you're like, God, I cannot handle any more. I'm done. I'm in the fire. The water's over my head. The debtors are calling, asking me to pay bills. I've got to ignore calls. My kids won't talk to me anymore. The doctor's given me six months to live. I've lost my mom, my dad, my husband, my wife. We face real trials and they feel like we're breaking. And we really want to know, honestly, <laughs> God, don't give me more than I can handle. That would be awesome if that was true. But God does give us more than we can handle. God gives us more than what we think. And to have us focus on our own limitations, on our own sense of what we can handle, puts the focus in a completely wrong place. Because when you go through trials, you want to focus on something firm that can last, that, that's worth it, not the shaken person that you are. I've been through trials in my life, and let me tell you, I'm shaken. If anything, I've got doubts, I've got self-doubts, I've got doubts in other people. I even, in that moment, have doubts in God himself. But let me tell you, the better way to say this is not so much how much can you handle, but hear this truth. God will never give you more than he can handle. He got it. He is drawing you in, and he gives you more than you can handle. Why? Because, it, because if you persevere, he will create in something in you that is what? Not lacking anything. Complete. Mature. It's a, it's a maturing of your faith. So when you go through this, don't focus on your own limitations. Focus on who God is, who doesn't have limitations, right? There's also another question in here that I wanted to talk about. How much more can you handle? So you say, God, God, I can't take any more. Who has ever said that? God, I can't handle it, right? Now, there's, there's something interesting about the word more because it's a comparison term. You're comparing this to something else. You're comparing it either to someone else or someone else's scenario, or you're comparing it to your scenario saying, I can't handle anymore. That was what we talked about earlier, our own limitations. But when you compare it to someone else, you think, man, look at this person over there. They're not getting it. They've got everything figured out. And here I am, God, you give me all the bad things. God, I can't take anymore. 
Maybe you say, God, can you send some over their way? Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe you just think it. You figure this idea that, God, why is life not fair? That's what it has to deal with. Life isn't fair. They're not getting it. I'm getting everything. How much more can I take? More than them? Let me tell you something about fairness, okay? Regardless of what the proper uh, parenting is, the proper view of God the Father, God isn't fair. Okay? And the reason I can tell that is he's not fair with you and he's not fair with me. Because if God was fair, we would get what we deserve. We would get, we would not have mercy. We would not have grace. Think about that. Think if you really got what you deserve, but we serve a God who's not fair, who offers grace and mercy, and unconditional love, accepts you where you're at, doesn't hold your past against you, but says, I died for that. I sacrificed myself for that because of my love for you. So as soon as you start playing the fair game, you start limiting your view of who God is, which is the last point, that last question I would bring up about this particular thing. What does God give us? Because honestly, when we wrestle with this, we wrestle with our idea of who God is. And honestly, we don't want to understand or accept a God who would actually bring suffering upon us. Because we equate suffering with punishment. And we think, oh my gosh, what did I do wrong, God? What did I do wrong to deserve this? I thought, I thought you loved me. You know, God's love, suffering doesn't come because he doesn't love you. And where you teach that, you, you change, you limit, you restrict your view of God. And guys, that is, that is satanic. That is anti-Christ. That is, that is destructive. To put on a God that sends out, sends out punishment based upon what we do. Do you know that when you do that, you turn your back on God. You turn your focus on the God who loves you. And you, and you create an, an improper thinking that creates an improper theology that when it lives out, and every time that I've experienced trial, I've never experienced trial without complaining, right? And I tell someone else, wow, look what God did to me. Maybe I tell someone who's not following Jesus or someone who's going through a similar trial, or, or never even understood this person in love of Jesus. And I tell them, well, let me tell you about this God who's just waiting up there to strike me with a lightning bolt and put me through suffering. And their view is, well, I don't want anything over that God. I've heard many people that leave the church because they don't want to, they think God is a God that doesn't allow or cause suffering. God's never promised that. In fact, James says something different. What does he say? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. In fact, James is a little crazy. 
Because he's saying, you're going to have it. Invite it and go into the suffering. Now, let me tell you, who here, raise your hand again if you've ever experienced a trial. Raise your hand. Okay, yeah, so you're with me on this. Let's say you're going through this trial. I mean, it's tough. I mean, you, you are, you're down, you're depressed, you're in the dumps, and then this person comes along to you and says, consider it pure joy, my brother and sister, when you face trials of many kinds. Persevere. Go get them. What do you want to do in that moment? Be honest. Yeah. Throat punch them, Right? Get out of my face. And we experience that, right? So many times I have endured trials. I remember when I, was in, when I was in high school, my senior year of high school, my dad had lost his job as a pastor. We were so poor that I visibly remember going up to the cupboard and having the only thing in the cupboard for dinner, which was a can of peas. Now, I like peas, so it wasn't terrible. But that was my dinner. I was a little selfish because no one else got anything to eat, but I ate the can of peas. I remember feeling at that moment, wow, I'm poor. I'm hungry. And do you know, in that same season of my life, there was a church leader who looked at me and said, consider it pure joy, my brother, when you eat the peas. Right? I don't want to hear that. I don't want to experience that. And I know that the tension that you live, if you're going through a trial right now and you've just heard me say, God won't give you more than you can handle. In fact, God will give you more than you can handle. You're thinking, I'm throat punching this puppy. He better not talk to me afterwards. You want to leave right now, don't you? You're feeling a little uncomfortable. You're feeling a little messed up. And I understand that truth. So let's enter into this because I don't think James is just going to leave you hanging. Leave his people hanging. He's Verse one, hey, I'm James, remember me? Verse two, consider it pure joy, the end. He goes on to encourage you. So if you're going through it today, your finances are in a mess, your marriage is a mess, your kids are out, the prodigal wandering and squandering, you're dealing with the loss of a loved one, you're facing real tribulation and trial. I've got some encouragement for you, and it comes through the person of James. In fact, I've kind of tabulated a little list for you. If you want to copy this down, maybe this would help you. If you want to consider it joy, how, what does that look like when you're going through the fire? What does that look like when your head is below the water level and you feel like you're drowning? What does it look like? Well, here's, here's some ideas. One, I would say you embrace a habit of gratitude. That's what joy looks like. Can we put the verse, I think it's verse 16? Um, skip down to the next one. Uh, don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Verse 17, look at this. Every good and perfect gift, this is the same chapter, guys. Verse four, verse two, three, and four we just read. This is skipped down to verse 17, same chapter. What does he say? What does joy look like? Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose you to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created, the, the, the pinnacle of his creation. He says every good and perfect gift comes from you. So I would say one way to experience joy in the midst of trials from what James is saying is to experience a life of gratitude. 
to look around your life and find those good things and center into them and say, thank God for this. Now, I saw this in action four years ago in my wife. We were talking about this just this week, and she said, you know, when she faced this trial, now we faced a trial in our life where we were unemployed. We had faced rejection after rejection about future jobs, and from my wife's perspective, her husband was living with his in-laws. Talk about trials. And in that moment, she said, the only thing that got me through was embracing an attitude of gratitude, embracing a life of thankfulness. She would go through and make a list of the positive things, maybe even the small things. Thank God that our kids are happy. I thank God for that sun, sunset or sunrise. I thank God for our time at the beach. I thank God for that positive conversation I had with someone at the, at the coffee house. Thank God, I thank God. And in that moment, you open yourself up away from the focus on the negative and you turn it on something positive. And let me tell you guys, there's joy there. There's joy there. Number two, I would say, go back to that list. Know that all suffering is temporary. Go back to, go back to verse 12. He says this, okay, again, verses one Hi, I'm James. Verses 2, 3, and 4, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Then he says this in verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will what? Receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Guys, every trial is temporary. Every trial is temporary. But let me tell you about something that's eternal, and that's you. When you accept life with Jesus, you begin an eternal life. That doesn't start when you kick the bucket. It starts when you accept Christ in your life. You begin an eternal life. You begin a heavenly life. You begin an access into the things of God that are pure and awesome. Now, is there brokenness? Is there pain? Oh, yeah. In fact, this world is full of it. But it's all temporary. All the problems are temporary. Now, you, they, some of them pass and improve, and some of them pass when we pass from this life to the next. But all struggle is temporary, and you have to understand that you are not that you are far more valuable than the trial that you're going through. And even though the trial doesn't change, there's something real and powerful and eternal and special and heavenly that God has placed inside you. And that will live on. Even though the trial may feel like it's not ending, it really is temporary. Last point on the list, or actually two points on the list. One I would say is don't give up don't give up. Did you hear about the importance of perseverance? What does perseverance mean? Don't give up. So many times I've heard people, this is too hard. I'm done with this. Do you really think that running from God's going to change your trial? Do you really think that what you're going through in life, running away from God and giving up on God, giving up on life, giving up on goodness is really going to make a difference in your trial? Chances are it might make it worse. 
So don't give up. In fact, persevere. Press on. Now, I know that's probably going to get me a throat punch, but still, it's still true. To persevere, don't quit. You got this. God can take you through this. God can help you through this. God will lead you through this. James is saying, here's the invitation. Come on through the trials with joy. Find joy through this because there's something good on the other side of it. Complete, mature, not lacking anything. The last point I would make is saying you don't have to endure trials alone. Ben, come on up. I want to talk to you a little bit about enduring trials alone. God said that we're going to have trials, but he's promised that we never have to go through anything alone. I told you about Mary's uh, perception of that time four years ago. Let me tell you about my perception of that trial. See, my life, uh, in a lot of ways, is tied to my, my job, my calling as a pastor. And in that moment of, of pretty much three months where we had no direction, there were churches that we were excited about leading, and places I thought, oh, this would be great, this is perfect, God, this, is, this would solve all the problems. Nope. We don't want you, the church would say. We've chosen someone else. In fact, there was one particular church that we were excited with, and it was the last church on our list. This is after three months living in Savannah, Georgia. It was this one church in Kansas, and it, it, was, it was okay, it was great, we were excited about it, we were mostly excited about it because it was the last one on the list, and we thought this is gonna work, right? God's gonna come through in the 11th hour, and everything's gonna be great and glorious, we're gonna have this great story to tell. I get a call. Hey, Shane, this is so-and-so from the church in Kansas. Yeah. Sorry, we're going to hire someone else. And we're not going with you. I was devastated. I remember in that moment, Mary and I jumped in the car. And we left the kids with, um, with Mimi and Pop-Pop. <laughs> they don't need to see Daddy ugly cry, I guess. And we hopped in the car and we drove um, kind of out to the beach, Tybee Beach, um, there in Savannah, Georgia. And I remember this vividly as we were praying. And I was honest with God. I was mad with God. I was rude with God. I didn't understand any of this. All I could see was the trial. And I remember we were driving, and in the distance was this massive storm system, black clouds. You could see the waves of rain in the distance as we drove towards it, violent lightning. We could hear the rumble of the loud thunder as we got closer and closer to it. I remember driving out on this one causeway that leads out to the beach, and there's the storm coming in off the water, and I floored it. God, take me into the storm. Maybe there'll be a tornado and it'll take us away and end this. I was done. And I wish God in that moment said something utterly profound, like his face appeared in the cloud or something like that. Hey, Shane, consider it pure joy, my brother. I wish something like that happened. It didn't. 
But here's what I, here's what I felt. As I was going full speed into the storm, saying, I don't care anymore, God, I'm done. I felt God say, Shane, you don't understand, but I'm with you. And I remember we entered into that first wave of rain and it was loud in the car, which was probably good because Mary couldn't hear me scream and yell anymore. And the, and, the, and the lightning shaking and the thunder was, was all around us. We were in it, right? And I heard God say, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I know you don't understand. And maybe you never will. But I have not forgotten you. I have not misplaced you. I have not overlooked you. I'm here with you. Some of you need to know that today. Some of you that are going through the trial and facing the fire, you need to know not that it's going to be glorious and awesome because it's not. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't overlooked you. He hasn't misplaced you. He hasn't brought you along and said, oh no, where did they go? He knows you. In fact, he's with you. Let me say something about that. God is always there for you. And here at this church, we believe that to be true and powerful. Also, sometimes when you're going through the fire, you need someone with skin on. And if we can encourage you and walk through with you, we, we probably can't fix your problems. We probably don't have the answers. We probably can't even help you figure it out. But we can walk with you. We can be there in the fire, in the water, in the storm, as you're walking through. And maybe for some of you, that's what you need to feel. You need to feel that God is with you and others are with you too. And I think that's a power that the community of Christ can bring. Some of you, might need to just rest in the fact that there's another in the fire. There's another in the water holding back, allowing you maybe to see some ability to persevere through this. And if you want to experience that, maybe you need to come to this altar and pray or, or pray at your seat or pull a friend aside or pull one of us aside and, and kind of process this a little bit. That'd be a great way to end. That'd be a cool way to end. But know this. There's another in the fire with you. He's there with you, walking with you, encouraging you. Maybe you don't feel it, but he's there. Why don't you stand with me? Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, I pray in this moment for the individual who's going through that fire that they find themselves right in the middle of it. I pray that in this moment, they might cry out to you, that they might be honest with you, even if it happens to be a little, uh, uh, a little loud, a little improper. I pray that you would, you would pour out your mercy upon them. And in this moment, as we sing this last song, as we celebrate the fact that there's another in the fire, that they would feel your presence and much more than my words can communicate. 
you have not forgotten them, that you have not misplaced them, that you have not overlooked them, that you have not left them alone, that you are with them. In Jesus' name. as you go today. Father, help us. Guide these, your people, to consider it pure joy when they face trials and tribulations of every kind. Give them the courage, the strength to persevere, knowing that you are creating in them a good work, a perfect work, not lacking anything. Father, I pray that you would communicate your love in powerful ways as people remove themselves from this place, that they would remove themselves from your presence, that you're always with us, that there's another in the fire standing next to us. I bless them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. Love to talk or pray. We're here for you. Have a great week. We'll see you later.